As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874, the Athletics podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. Joined today by Greg Evans, probably to have a little bit of a moan about Aston Villa nil, Watford 1. We're going to look at some of the bits and pieces as well. So if you don't want to listen to us talk about Watford, don't go away because there will be some other stuff chatted about as well. Holly is not with us today and she's been having an interesting week which accumulated with her tweeting about how much she loves the taste of dog food. We were slightly concerned and we saw that a few of Twitter followers were as well. So we did ask her to send in a voice note to explain. Hello, Greg. Hello, Dan. Sorry I'm not there. Some life things is, has taken precedent. I apologise. But I heard that you wanted a breakdown of a weird tweet that I posted over the weekend. Um, I don't really want to read it out, but it was it was along the lines of of liking dog food as if my memory serves correctly and basically the reason behind such a weird tweet that many people may have seen is I stream on Twitch in my spare time stream a lot of football manager and I did what's called a subathon where basically the timer keeps getting extended if people subscribe to my Twitch channel and one of the goals was if we hit I believe 400 or 300 subscribers I would let a friend post anything off my Twitter account. Granted, I reminded them that it's my work Twitter and didn't want anything too bad on there. But Dr. Benji, his name is on YouTube. Ben is his name. Uh, he's a he's a lovely friend of mine. And I let him choose the tweet and he sent that to me and, and posted it. And obviously, if you go back and have a look, a lot of people think it's actually quite genuine. But the best thing about it was just getting to uh, look through all of the kind of gifts that people sent of being grossed out and weirded out by the tweet. Um, mostly by people who knew it was a joke, but that is the explanation behind a weird tweet that I can guarantee 100% is not true, and I don't recommend to try it at home. So yeah, but if you want to follow me on Twitch, <laughs> a bit of a shameless plug, uh, it's twitch.tv slash hollyplays with two eyes in, in holly and two eyes in plays. I mean, I'm going to be honest, after hearing that story, I don't think anyone's going to want to follow her on Twitch, Greg. 
<laughs> I love that she just come on and fully explained it all in so much detail. That's that's excellent. Fair play, Holla. Um, I actually missed a tweet, but there, there was something she said when 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 she was going through it there, and she said that um, you know pe- people were thinking that it was genuine on Twitter, and I've often thought this. I, I've, I've often thought because my Twitter is so serious, I I literally only post you know updates on Villa or um, you know a few occasional football things. I've often wondered if I just post something completely random in there and just make it up whether people would believe me. I think they'd think you'd been hacked. <laughs> yeah. Or Jolly and Les Scotted your Jolly and Les Scotted your phone in your pocket possibly. I might try it. I mean crazy friends, Holly. They could have come up with better than that, surely. You can t- I know it's a work one, but they're still I still think they might have been able to come up with something better than that. I think they're trying to be nice to her, aren't they? Keeping it clean and all that. Yeah, I think if I if I'd have been allowed to do it, I might have like asked you out or something like that in public for everyone to see. That that might have been what I'd have done. Oh God! No, I might not. No, no, I might Twitter account on on Holly's Twitter account <laughs> just in case you were wondering. I mean, I'd love to talk about this all day because I really don't want to talk about Villa at the moment, Greg. It was another miserable day at Villa Park. I haven't actually spoke to you about the game until now. I presume you were there. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, <laughs> but equally as frustrated as you, I think. Yeah, was it was it any better in the press box than it was in the whole end? Um, do you know what? I actually didn't think it was as bad as maybe some of the reactions uh, warranted. You know, there, there were a lot of boos on the final whistle, weren't there? Could, you know, quite certainly the most that, that, that have been this season. You know what? I'll, um, I'll, I'll chip in. I'll be honest. I was so annoyed. I booed. Did you? Wow. I know. I never, I never boo. I don't think, I, except for the relegation season, I don't think I've ever booed. I was just so frustrated, so annoyed. Well, I mean, I think I think that kind of says it all then, doesn't it? You know, because you, you're like the most sort of positive fan that I know and you try and take the, um, you know, you try and give the team and, and the manager and, and, the, and the setup and whatever the benefit of the doubt whenever you can. During the game, I would never boo. But after, yeah, the, after, yeah, after on this yeah. occasion, I was so annoyed that I did. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm just trying to get to. That's the point I'm trying to make, you know, that the, the, the amount of boos on the final whistle surprised me um i didn't expect it to be that loud um and and you know i think i think even Stephen gerrard was a little bit shocked by it because i could see the way he sort of dropped his head and, and walked down from the dugout towards the tunnel kind of with his head down and you know gerrard's a, uh, a character who sort of walks you know with his head up isn't he most of the time and quite proud um and, and kind of bats things away you know even when they're when they're negative so yeah i, I presume he he must have felt it must have felt it a little bit and look, I'm not one for booing. Oh, I don't know. I think it's a way that supporters need to vent their anger, perhaps. But um, it was just a sign of, of how frustrating it's been for Villa of late. I think you're right in that, you know, saying it wasn't that bad. I would probably just about go along with that because I think it was the kind of game I expected. I didn't expect it to be Villa playing free-flowing football, going attacking Watford and it being easy to break through and scoring goals. I didn't expect that. It was exactly the kind of game that I thought it would be. But I would have thought Villa would have had a bit more craft and a bit more nous to be able to break them down. Pretty basic what Watford are doing. Let's face it. And then if you can't win, don't lose. And that's where I was really, really disappointed because they didn't have to do much defending through the day. But the midfield didn't didn't have a good game. We didn't look really a threat in attack. So then when you need to defend, you expect your defence to be able to defend. And they didn't. And just, you know, Martin, as I said to you before we came on, is the only player I felt that played anywhere near his best through the whole game. And it's just really, really frustrating and really disappointing because, you know, that's one point from the last the last three games, games where you could feasibly look at it and, you know, look for seven, let's say, and think that, that that's a return that could happen. This was supposed to be a run of games where Villa, Villa got going after the, after the little winter break. And they just haven't. And at the start of Gerard's tenure, 
I didn't see a, a miserable run like this coming. I, I just feel like a lot has changed and I'm not sure why. I think we're almost at the point now where we can call the season a bit of a writer. Yeah, aren't definitely. We? I mean, v- v- Villa aren't going down. That I'm, 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 I'm certain of that. Nine points above the drop zone and, and there are eight teams below Villa. So it's going to take an almighty turnaround for things to change like that. Um, but it's not nice when you hear the manager saying we've got to be careful because we could get sucked into it because that's not what Villa are expecting when, um, when Gerard's took over but they just haven't had a, a you know real nice run of results all season you know under Dean Smith they, they lost the five games in a row which sort of you know which lost him his job uh, Gerard came in results picked up a little bit and now they've they've turned for the worse again one winning eight in all competitions so it's just not it's just not quite there for Villa at the moment I keep saying that it needs to be fine-tuned but it, it really feels like it does um Clearly, Villa are the aggressors now when they're playing against teams. I thought there were some good moments against Leeds. The Newcastle game was 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 a bad day at the office. Let's be honest, that was that was awful. Um, but the Watford game, I don't think it was on that level. I think that Villa played some decent stuff. I think they created a couple of all right chances. Um, you know, Ings went through and, and could have had a penalty in the first minute. Um, he, he hit the post with a, a, a one-on-one quite soon after. I'm not sure if it would have been ruled up for offside. I think it would have. Um, but there were a couple of nice interchanges in, in attack with Buendia and Coutinho and Ramsey getting forward. McGinn came under a bit of criticism as well and I didn't think he was actually that bad. I think, you know, I watched him, I watched him quite a lot and I thought if you take him out of the team... Then they still Villa still lose something big time. You know his energy in there is important. He wins the ball back a lot. He keeps hold of possession quite often. The thing that's maybe letting him down a little bit at the moment is what he does with the ball next. He's been a bit sloppy in his distribution of late, and I think that's what supporters are picking up on a bit more. But. Look, I mean, we're both making so many points here. There's, there's so many negatives to, to focus on at the moment. I've written about Coutinho this morning, um, saying that, you know, he's blockbuster. I love watching him. And when he's on the ball, he's excellent. But Villa, well, you know, what does it mean if Villa can't win when he's in the team? Yeah, I, I suppose them, them two things aren't, they're not correlated, are they? Coutinho being in the team and Villa, Villa not picking up points. And you, you just pick you up on your point. You don't. You don't. You don't know that, Dundee. Do I mean, let, let's be honest. You don't know. You, you, you know, it, is the balance right there? I, okay, Coutinho's got to be in the team for me because he's a game changer. And 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 when he's when you get him on the ball, he's brilliant. But you know, is it, results weren't great before he came, admittedly. But is it any correlation that when he's coming, you know, Villa can't get, string the results together? They're conceding goals every game. Interesting point, to be honest. I haven't. I'm certain. I'm certainly not highlighting it. I suppose it's a valid. This was this was the big. This was the big transfer that was going to change Villa and move them from a from a a lower to middle ranking team closer towards the 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 top half and and the top seven even. And and it isn't working. So you know what what what, what's the reasons behind it? I suppose by the same the same way you could also say target. Out for Luca Dean. If you look at, if you were to look at it in that way, you know that's changed. That's something that's changed, hasn't it? You could look at it in that way as well. I know I'm being a little bit petty. Do you know? Yes and no. Yes, yes and no. I think if you if you take the the two positions, that the point I'm, I'm the point I tried to make in the article today was that um, I feel like I'm backtracking a little bit now because no. I said June I said during the window that the Villa had a good window. Oh, well, Villa have won the last two transfer windows apparently, but they, they don't not winning on the pitch. Yeah. And I mean, I do stick by it because the the four players that they signed, 
three out of the four definitely are uh, are improvements on on what they had previously. Perhaps four out of four. Um, with Coutinho and, and Dina, you, you you take them all day over um, Chesagay and Matt Target, wouldn't you? I mean, let's be honest, you you would, wouldn't you? So situation Villa find themselves in is that these players have come in and they're expected to be better than um, than the players that they've replaced and the results haven't haven't helped. So, um, you know, it just highlights the fact that defensive midfield probably was the issue. Could Villa have, have, have were Villa sharp enough in attack that they could have made do with what they had already in attack and, and, and focused all their energy on a defensive midfielder? If they're bidding £35 million for Bissouma and it's been rejected, yet they're paying um, 70% of Coutinho's wages and, and they've agreed a £33 million deal with him at the end of the season. Um, you know, and they're paying £23 million for a left-back when they've already got one. Was it a case of perhaps maybe they needed a cent- central midfielder who could who could protect the back four and that was the key area? I don't know. I mean, look, you know, you're raising some interesting points. To be to be fair, I think I think I don't necessarily agree with them. I don't I don't necessarily disagree with them either. I think they're they're interesting points though, that I haven't really heard raised elsewhere. I'll read your page because I've not, I've not read it yet. And if you're not subscribed to the Athletic, you can do so for just a pound a month for the first six months, and you'll be able to check out Greg's piece as well. Just head to theathletic.com/slash/villapod. You'll get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of the Athletic's podcast, including this one. That's theathletic.com/slash/villapod. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I pick you up back on the, the McGinn point that you made. I don't think it's that he's bad. I think he's ineffective. He's not. He's not, he's not in the games. I would say at the, at the moment at all. And nobody is playing well. I'm not sat here, and I, I, it's almost bad picking out individual players because nobody is doing it. And probably, I'll probably include the manager and the coaching staff in that at the moment. But McGinn, I personally have high standards for John McGinn, and when he doesn't play well, I always notice it more. And I just feel I'm noticing it more at the moment that he just isn't in games. Uh, he's 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 not in the he's not in the game as often as he has been when he's playing really well. I, I'd agree with that. Because you're saying about his um, energy, I'm not I'm not saying yeah. that. See, I, see, I I still seen that on on Saturday. I, I watched him quite closely, and I thought I, I watched him. I watched a man who was rallying the troops regular. I saw that showing a lot of energy every time the ball was turned over. He was trying to win it back, and and. I don't know the statistics, maybe I'll have to look into it deeper, but I'm pretty sure he won the ball back more than anyone in that midfield. Um, I thought that there were times in those middle areas where he was on the ball and was very close to losing it, but came out of those challenges um, with the ball still. What he did next was maybe the biggest issue for me. Um, Couldn't quite get his passes off. 
and tried maybe a few too of those too many of those longer longer ones that that, that, that didn't really come off that that were coming off previously. Um, so yeah, it, it, the midfield for me just isn't quite right at the moment. Whether whether it's what the manager and the, and and the coaches are asking them to do, um, whether it's where they're asking them to be positioned. You got to remember for 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 thirty minutes of for thirty five minutes of of what, the Watford game, McGinn and Ramsey were were so deep because Louise had been taken off. Now that was probably the first game where I looked at it and thought Gerard maybe got all three of his substitutes wrong. I thought Villa got worse after every sub, and I thought they got worse after every formation change. We changed formation twice at, during that game. We went four two three one for a bit, and then at the end we were four four two. I thought we looked hopeless with the with the new mm. with the new formations. To be honest, I mean it's very very unusual for me to come away from a game and 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 sort of say that a manager's got three substitutions wrong. I, I, I hardly ever say that, um, and and I just think that because I specifically asked Gerard about them. I said, you know, can you talk through your substitutions for me? And fair play to him. He said, look, you know, he took what uh, he took Louise off because he wanted to get Watkins on because he felt that Watford weren't creating anything. They weren't committing men forward um, so that he wanted he wanted an extra body in, in the attacking areas to try and unlock the defence I think that's far, I think that's fine that's that's fair enough um, and I think that's what Villa fans want to see they want to see their team on the attack they want to be the team that are the aggressors as, as Gerard said at the very start of, of his tenure at Villa he wants to move towards a more possession based team um, Villa are ticking those boxes now. They are dominating possession. Um, so I'm, I'm sure Gerard won't be pleased with that because of the results, but that is something that they, that they have been working on. So that's a, maybe a positive sign. The, the key is trying to get something in the final third now because that's where they're falling short. Bailey came on, few missed, you know, bad touches, lost possession in, in dangerous areas. Which was frustrating. Watkins did the same. I would say Bailey for Buendia is an expected, that's a standard expected sub. I think I so, forgive, yeah. I can, forgive, I can forgive that one. I think if I'd have had to have predicted a sub that was made in that game, I think that would have been one that I would have called. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, yeah. but the point I was trying to make with, um, with Louise and Watkins was, yeah, Villa fans want to see that attacking side of things, but are Villa really at a posi- in the position where they can afford to take off a defensive midfielder for a striker in the Premier League when far, margins are so far in between teams. Um, and, and look, you know, I think the, the, the older, experienced manager got it right. Yeah. With, with Hodgson, it he, he was a perfect game plan for, for a struggling Watford team who, who struggled to score, uh, are in a relegation battle. They, it was the perfect away performance for them. I'll just carry on talking about the subs because I think I think I actually think that's a really interesting point. I didn't know you'd spoken to Stephen Gerrard about it, and I find this this bit really interesting. Right back at the start of the podcast, I said if you're not going to if you can't win the game, make sure you don't lose it. Mm. That sub lost Villa the game, and it's easy for me to sit here with hindsight and say because and I'll tell you why I think he lost us the game. I actually thought Watkins did okay when he came on. I've, I've not been his, his his biggest fan recently. I think it, I don't think he's performing, but I actually thought he he tried to impact the game when he when he came on and sat and he worked hard and he did okay. You've taken Louise off, and what it seemed like, I don't know whether you noticed this, it seemed like he gave the ball away in the middle of the park, and Watford went on the counter attack, and it felt like straight away what it was like. Right, Watkins, you're on, and Louise was dragged straight off the back of that mistake. That was what it felt like to me. Because he was yeah. literally subbed within a minute of it happening. Yeah. So I'm not sure about that. I don't. That feels a little bit reactionary to me. To one to one isolated incident in the game. 
if you're going to take your defensive midfielder off and bring Watkins and bring Watkins on, I already felt like there was problems on the break because McGinn and Ramsey are pulling so wide to cover the fullbacks. I already felt like Louise was a bit isolated in the middle of the park. If you're then taking Louise off and putting McGinn and Ramsey in the middle of the park and the fullbacks are still bombing on exactly the same, McGinn and Ramsey are still getting pulled wide at this point. And that's exactly why we conceded the goal. If you'd have been watching that game at the end, you'd have been saying, who's that left back playing for Villa? Number 41 is it's Jacob, Jacob Ramsey, the, yeah. the left back. I think that sub lost us the game. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I thought it was I thought it was a slightly strange decision at the time, but I could half understand it purely because Watford had only had two attacks um, at that point. I think it was 56 minutes when, when Louise came off. Um, so, so I could understand it to an extent, but then the way that the game changed, you immediately realised that it was the wrong that it was the wrong move um, because Watford were gaining so much going forward um, and. Martinez made a couple of really good saves, didn't he? That one from King, which which should have made it two 0 you know. And most of the strikers put that away. Um, that that should have been two 0 So that was an obvious uh, another error. But but yeah, I, I agree with you, Dan. I think that I think that that was the that was the the wrong move. You know, we, we also asked about Matt Cash why he was taken off for, for Ashley Young because okay, I guess he, 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 yeah. I mean that that was that was the that was Gerard's answer. Um, he was a little bit concerned that he was already on the booking. Um, he, he felt like he had fresh legs on on the on the bench who he could bring on in Ashley Young, but then it was Young who got beaten at the at the far post for 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 Dennis's goal and the only goal of the game. So, does Matty Cash get beaten in that position when he's warmed up and ready? Possibly not. You, you don't know, do you? It was a good it was a good quality goal to be fair to Watford. Lovely cross and and an excellent movement in the box and a good finish. Um, but 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 in the build up, it was again Bailey and Young messing about further upfield, giving the ball away, and then Villa getting caught on the counter attack, and they just didn't have enough numbers getting back. We'll just head for a quick advert break, but when we come back, Greg and I are going to answer some of the questions that have been sent in by you guys. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Right, Greg, some questions now from people who listen to the podcast on Twitter that they've sent in. So the first one's from Dale MC, and he asks, is the Gerard appointment now looking beyond naive on the part of Christian Perslow? Lennon, McLeish and Strachan have won the SPL more than 10 times between them. None of them are especially revered for their management south of the border. <laughs> it's a hell of a punt. 
<laughs> yeah, thanks for the question, Dale. Uh, I, I would say you can't really compare managers who come from Scotland, can you? Because it's they're, they're, we're in a different era. You know, Gerard's coming from a, a different era, and I think the job he, he did at Rangers was exceptional and, and possibly harder than some of the others mm. that, yeah. that, have, that have been mentioned there. You know, he had to turn around a team that was pretty much on its ass. Um, it was about te- Celtic were about to win ten in a row that he managed to stop that, and. Okay, it took him a little bit of time, but as a as a rookie manager in your first real job, I think he did an excellent job there, and um, I, I I think he deserved a Premier League job after the 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 work that he did there. And I mean, you know, where does he go uh, for, for his next job if 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 it isn't in the Premier League? I think he deserved it. In terms of naivety on Villa and, and Christian Perslow's part, probably a little bit too too early to say. You know, we all knew that. Gerard was arriving at Villa on the back of his relationship with with Christian Perslow. That wasn't the only reason um, that, that he came. You know, Villa were keen to stress that Gerard had to go through an extensive recruitment process. He had to impress Johan Langer, um, who, who who put up some really tough pointers. That, you know, that he had to meet. He had to show what he would do with the academy. He had to prove that the game plan um, and the uh, you know the, pl- the long term plan for the future was right for Villa. He had to uh, impress ahead of quite a few other candidates as well who who didn't do very well in the interview process. So so Stephen Gerrard came out with flying colours and yes, every managerial appointment is a little bit of a punt, isn't it? Surely you're going to take a gamble on any one of them. And if I remember rightly, there wasn't really a standout manager at the time that Villa fans were calling for and hoping for um, and that was, you know, realistically able to to, to, to be to be hired. I mean, Villa were never going to get an Antonio Conte, let's be honest. You know, they, they weren't going to get someone like Jose Mourinho out of um, Roma uh, and, and there weren't really any standout managers who, who, who would have come in and immediately appeased the Villa fan base. I don't think so. Gerard was somebody who was a little bit of a gamble, but he still needs a bit more time. Jose Mourinho, by the way, Greg, did you not watch the, the Spurs documentary on Amazon when he was adamant about how you say his name? Not Jose, it's Jose. Sorry, Jose. Yeah, he, he doesn't listen, I don't think, so I think he'll be okay. Also, the <laughs> latest in my toilet chronicles, I washed my hands next to Johan Langer the other day at Villa Park. Just off the back of it, interesting, interesting tale there. It's also worth knowing, actually, Greg, that you know Rangers have probably got, I know they bit Dortmund the other day, which was an exceptional result, but... It looks like they're going to probably give up the title to Celtic this year since since Gerrard's departed and that may, may not have happened had Gerrard stayed there. Yeah, last couple of games that they've dropped away a little bit. I think Rangers, you know, they've, they've bought in four or five players who are probably quite risky signings in, in their own. Um, and yeah, excellent performance at Dortmund, though. Fair play. Yeah, great result. Unbelievable result that was. Got one here from Andrew Hansard. He says, why don't we look like we have a system all the players are buying into? Is Gerard tactically naive or are there deeper problems within the squad? I just want to pick up a couple of things off the back of that before you answer. First one being, when this, when Gerard first came in, this system worked wonders and the players looked like they were thriving in it and they were really enjoying playing it, playing in it. And I felt like there was a kind of a fear factor of not playing well and getting dropped. I think that's gone at, at the moment. Second one is, if a man just suddenly rips up his tactical ideas, his tactical framework... He gets slated and everyone says he doesn't know what he's doing and you start chopping and changing formation. So it's, it's a difficult balance. I agree something needs to change, but I don't think it's that simple. I take, I take your points and agree with both of them. I think when, when a manager first comes in, players are desperate to impress. Um, that, you know, that, that, that probably, that edge has, has 
perhaps gone now, you know, so many games in. I also think going back to the earlier conversation, there's been quite a few changes. You know, Coutinho's come in for Ashley Young, which you would you would think is an upgrade, but you, you lose a little bit of of, of maybe um, you know t- tactical nails from from uh, from Young that, that you would have in there, and a little bit of that experience and you know that know how of how to win in fouls and um, slowing up the game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You also get a little bit, def- bit more defensively with Young in there. I'm not saying replace Coutinho for Young. I'm not saying that's the answer, but that's maybe one of the things that that have changed since since the the games have have gone on. In terms of are there deeper problems in the squad? Well, yeah, you know we know there are. There's no sense. There's no defensive midfielder in there, and that's a big, big issue for this team and the way that Gerard wants to play because. If you have fullbacks bombing on so high and so often in a game, you need your midfield men to cover. And Villa just aren't doing that at the moment. Not really getting loads of assists from the fullbacks doing this. Though. I know Cash got one the other day against Leeds. But look, I think there's the exciting Dinia and Coutinho partnership that everybody was talking about hasn't flourished yet. That hasn't come, in, that hasn't come off. But I think Cash and, and, and Coutinho are linking up quite well. I think Cash is getting forward a lot more and I think his deliveries into the box are a lot more accurate. Something that he spoke to the official website about uh, a couple of weeks ago saying that he need, he wanted to improve his delivery. I think he's doing that now. And I think there are there are a lot of clever runs that Coutinho is making into the box to to mm. um, latch onto cro- uh, crosses and, and pullbacks from, from Cash. I think that connection is working quite well. Um and, and could be something that will fl- uh, flourish in the future. Oh, I think Cash has been pretty consistent this season. I think probably after Ramsey, he's probably Villa's player of the year for me, mate, Cash. But I keep hearing about Gilbert doing it well in France. I mean, it's just like Matt, Matt Cash is one of the players that Steven Gerrard really, really highly rates. And he, he he could potentially be the right back for you know a good few years at Villa. Gilbert, we, we've seen, he, he, he's had his chance. He's like, I hate this with, with players. They go away and they become better players. Matt Cash is Matt Cash is Villa's best right back, and he's going to be for a couple of years. So you know, let, let's get used to it. Let's get behind him because he's a bloody good player. I mean, I, I work for who scored as well, but they you know they post their teams of the week across Europe as Gilbert's in there every week at the moment. That's the problem. It's, it's who scored. Well, that's the problem. He's obviously doing doing quite quite well in France. I think he's just taking set pieces and getting getting quite a lot of assists and goals off the back of it. If my memory serves me correctly, but yeah. Matty Cash is twice the player. Freddie Gilbert is, I think, I think that's an absolute. Villa, we're going to pick out things that need to change. I think Matty Cash at Ryback's probably quite low down on the list, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I mean, literally, that is it's the one position that you just that you just let's just get on with it because it's a good it's a good solid option that Villa have got at the moment. Yeah, you might as well you might as well talk about replacing Martinez. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where should we go now? We've had a lot of questions sent in, so I'm just having a, a little look. This is an interesting point, Simon Thake. At fake news, we all agreed that when Villa survived after lockdown, Douglas Louise was our best player and had really mastered the positional side of the CDM role. Were we wrong, or has he changed, forgotten how to do that stuff, or is he refusing to? I keep I can't resist answering before it gets to you, Greg. But I think Villa were just. <laughs> do you want me to ask you I, the I, question? No, no, no. I, I just think Villa were a more defensive side at that point, so it was easier to play that role because Villa came back after lockdown and were very defensive. I wonder if Douglas Louise listened to this pod because no. we've been so up and down on him over the years. I defended him on Twitter on Saturday because I said he's getting... I don't think he's playing well, but I do think he's getting absolutely swarmed in there. Yeah, look, I've been quite scathing of him in recent weeks, but I think 
he doesn't want to be a defensive midfielder. He wants to play in, in a more attacking role. Um, if he had someone behind him, I think he could be excellent for Villa because he uses the ball well and he drives with the ball well, doesn't he? He's got that ability to to to, to run quite quickly with the ball and, and, and get past players easy. Perhaps in a number eight role, he, he might be better. But it's just been so up and down for him. I feel like he started quite well at the very, very start. Then he faded off. Then Project Restart came back and he was excellent and he played really well again and Villa were a bit more defensive and had a bit more of a defensive shape so they weren't asked to do much more going forward. Um, but 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 it's it's just not quite working for him. He doesn't read danger as well as he should and you know for a defensive midfielder and, and that's what that's what's um, causing him to be exposed a little bit. But he does need some help around him for sure because. You know, it's difficult when you've got McGinn and um, Ramsey ahead of you who who are both driving forward quite regularly and trying to create, um, you know, a lot of the dirty work, so to speak, is left to him. But the, 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 the one thing I would point out is that when he gets forward and he likes to get forward a lot, does Douglas Louise, he doesn't, he isn't able to get back in his, in his position quickly enough. He just gets a little bit too um, excited while going forward. He played left central midfield against Manchester City at home before Christmas. And I thought he was unbelievable in that game. I thought he was so, so good. And I was like, I really like him here. But then the camber got injured. That was his best game of the season by far. I think it was his best game in the Villa shirt. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. If you take the stats out, I mean, I sound like who scored here. If you take the stats from that game, he had some unbelievable numbers for things. I thought he was excellent that game. And yeah, not really seen it since. But I do think there's mitigating circumstances. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Matt C, who he regularly asks questions and, and talks about our podcast, I think. So thank you very much, Matt. He says, which five youngsters in order are you most excited about? His order is Jacob Ramsey, Chuck Mecca, Aaron Ramsey, Kessler Hayden, and then Bogard. Yeah, thanks for the question, Matt C. I think it's the Matt C who comments on quite a lot of the articles on The Athletic. So if it is, um, thanks for thanks for the uh, continued interaction. Um yeah, I probably wouldn't class Jacob Ramsey. Yeah, as I was going to say, let's more. take him out. He's in the first. He's first team, isn't he? Just think, you know, fifty-one appearances. He's he's um, very well established now in in the first team. I still think Carney's the most exciting, purely because he's so young. Um, so much about him. Really would like to see a little bit more of him. I don't think it's the right time for him to start at the moment, just because of Villa on a bad run. But I'd love to see him get a couple of starts before the end of the season. I think Jaden Philogene Bidace. Is another really exciting one as well. Somebody who can just take on players at ease. I mean, you know, you've seen him against. Bur- I watched him against Birmingham a couple of weeks ago, and uh, seen the highlights. And he, he tried twenty dribbles in the game. You know, twenty attempted dribbles, which is a sign of his confidence at the moment. And somebody who's just willing to create. I think Archer probably come up next purely because he's mine. You know, he's scoring goals in the championship, and and he and he just looks like a lethal finisher. You know, he looks like somebody who could potentially come back to the Premier League and do a job now as well, hopefully for Villa. Um, Kane Kessler and Ben Crisena are the next two for me. 
Chris Enney kind of gone under the radar a bit purely because he hasn't been out on loan and and um, hit the same heights that some of the other youngsters are now achieving. But there's very high hopes for him. You know, he, he made I think he made a first team appearance or two for Exeter, signed for a million pound. Very, very highly rated. Dean Smith, um, Dean Smith, <laughs> Stephen Gerrard likes Back him. Back in time. <laughs> Stephen, Stephen Gerrard certainly likes him. Hence why he's promoted him up into the first team. But there's, there's so many youngsters that you can talk about. I mean, Aaron Ramsey's out on loan at Cheltenham. He, he, this is his first loan, so it's always typically the hardest. Louis Barry's now scoring goals. No surprise that it's his second loan. The first one's always typically the hardest. Um, and then the second one gets a little bit easier. You've got the two centre-halves, Josh Feeney and Kerr Smith. They're going to be stars in the future, I think. Young Jaden Barber, doing really well for, for the England youth teams and, and can play right or left back for Villa. Um, and there's Tommy O'Reilly as well, who's doing well. So there's just there's a lot a lot of players that you, that you can mention at the moment. Tommy O'Reilly is somebody who we haven't really spoke about on the pod or at the Athletic. You know, he's a he's a, he's a young central midfielder who has been integrated into first team training a little bit, and and he's doing very well for the 23s. Left footed, isn't he? Yeah, Tommy O'Reilly. Yeah, I've, I've heard good things about him. Chateau, I'm going to watch Villagin Badais tonight at Stoke. So I'll come back with a comprehensive report next week. If you want me to write an article, Greg, a scan <laughs> report, just, just, just please, please let me know. I'm with Arch is the one I'm most excited about because he's just lethal, isn't he? He's lethal, um, and he, you know, he's, he, his goal scoring record this season is incredible. He reminds me of Jermaine Defer. He's got all kinds of. He's a, of bit, di- like a, he's a got, bit like a Michael Owen, isn't he? He's a little bit like a Michael yeah. Owen. I think he's got all kinds of just different finishes. Mm. Every time I see him score, it's a different kind of finish. But it's like you say, it's just, he is just lethal. His record this season is unbelievable. Absolutely. Well, yeah, the, the ga- you know the games that he's played against senior opposition for, for Villa and for for Preston, his he, goals to games ratio is incredible. A real, you know, a bit of a late bloomer because you know he's he's not one of the younger ones, you know, out of the group. Of course, whilst we're talking about Cameron Archer, he did score against one of the podcast's favourite teams, Reading, last weekend. Ledson with the corner this time, sent forward, drops into the box. Sinclair sees his shot blocked. Archer. His first deep down goal and get ready for the grand stand finish. North End from 3 0 down have hauled it back to 3 2. Derek Crowen on Twitter had asked for a regular report on loan players, so it is just by chance I'm going to watch one tonight. But yeah, we'll, we'll, feed, we'll try and feed back a little bit more on the loan players. Our producer has told us that Matt Target was superb against West Ham. We don't really want to hear it, producer. Right, after so much doom and gloom today, let's end with a positive. Great news for Hannah Hampton, who made her England debut against Spain in a nil-nil draw. Here's Holly Percival with more. It was really, really exciting news for Villa fans to see Hannah Hampton get her England debut. She's kind of been in and around the squad now for the last few camps, and, and it's kind of been uncertain as to whether she would get the call up. Ellie Roebuck, who is the Manchester City goalkeeper, has been continuing her return from a lengthy injury and that's kind of allowed Mary Earps the chance to kind of step up in goal for England during her absence and during the Arnold Clark Cup where England are hosting Canada, Germany and Spain. Hannah Hampton got her opportunity to uh, represent England for the first time uh, in the game against Spain on the weekend it finished 0-0, which sounds like a, your standard kind of boring game, but the Arnold Clark Cup 
is actually kind of England's biggest test to date since having Serena Wiegmann come in as the new manager. So to allow Hannah Hampton to get her chance to show what she can do and, and showcase her ability ahead of the home Euros in the summer was a really exciting opportunity for her. Obviously, she's very young and still very new to kind of the England scene, but to see out a 1-1 draw against Spain, who are mainly dominated of Barcelona players, who are arguably the best team in the world right now, having won the Champions League last season and dominating the female La Liga and also now the uh, Champions League this season. To get a 0-0 against them is really impressive. Um, Hannah did look pretty comfortable in goal once she got through the kind of little issue of communication early on when she tried to kill the ball and it kind of went between her and one of the England players. But after that, she looked very settled and very comfortable in goal, which is really great to see. Athena del Castillo, I believe is how you pronounce her name. I'm not great with Spanish. Uh, her shot from the edge of the box in the first minute could have won Spain the game, but Hannah pulled off a really great save to deny Spain that late win and kind of keep England's chances of winning the cup alive. You should also check out on England's social media a video of Hannah kind of being approached by all of the players after the game and congratulating her on her debut and how much of an amazing game she had. It was really sweet because she looks so well settled into that England squad and just shows how much of a kind of an important figure she is there already. So I'd have a lot of money on Hannah Hampton being in the England squad this summer unless there's anyone else who comes in and really oppresses such as Sandy McIver at Everton but Hannah Hampton is is continuing to grow and, and she's becoming really impressive and, and, a, and a household face and name for Aston Villa women. Holly taking a break from her pedigree chum there to fill us in. A big Le Tournoir vibes from the Arnold Clark Cup and it is a, it's really nice footage of Hannah Hampton leaving the pitch actually if you haven't seen it on the Lionesses social media so do go and check that out. Just before we go, Greg, are you looking forward to your trip to Brighton at the weekend? Lovely place to go, but it'd be nice to get a result to go with it going to Brighton. <laughs> I am. I am looking forward to going to Brighton. I, I think it, it's one of the games I always look forward to going to, actually. Newcastle and Brighton are the, are the two sort of standout away days in the Premier League for me. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it'd be fun. I don't think I'm staying over this time, though. No. I think it'll be there and back. Well, we hope you have a good time, Greg, and hopefully next week we'll have something positive to talk about because let me tell you, the games in March and April don't look too clever on paper, so we could do some points before then. Don't forget that offer, just a pound a month for your first six months if you're not already subscribed to The Athletic when you head to theathletic.com slash villapod. Thanks to Greg for joining me, thanks to Holly for all her voice notes as well, and thanks to Ollie for producing. He never gets a thanks, so I'm going to thank him this week. Please, 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 can we have something good to talk about next week? Join us again up the villa. The Athletic. Hey, this is Andrew Schlecht from The Athletic. The NBA Finals begins on June 6th, and we have you covered at The Athletic NBA Show. Join us Monday through Friday to hear voices like Zach Harper, David Aldridge, Marcus Thompson, Dave DeFore, Sam Amick, and many more. We will have instant reaction shows after every Finals game, plus podcasts to take you behind the scenes in between games. Listen to The Athletic NBA Show wherever you get your podcasts.